Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and today you're listening on the Believe Network. Now, today we continue the summer of Nick Kyrgios and everything great that he is doing in the sport of tennis. But, spoiler alert, it doesn't end as grand as it did in Atlanta or in Washington. We're talking about the tournament going on in Montreal. The Masters 1000 tournament going on in Canada that happens every single year, right before Cincinnati, right before the U.S. Open. This tournament is the National Bank Open presented by Rogers. What an absolute long name for a tournament. I'd rather stick to like something like the U.S. Open or the City Open. But National Bank paid enough money that they get their own name on this thing. So let's look at the La draw. I already showed you and told you last week, kind of laid out who was in this tournament. I mentioned the big the big matchups that would be there. Uh, Daniil Medvedev, the one seed. Nick Kyrgios, the... Uh, playing in right into the one seed. I mentioned that Shapo and Dean Manure were going to have a, you know, a first round match that could go not great um, for one of them. Obviously it did. And then I talked a little bit about who was in this tournament, who are some, some surprises and kind of who I was looking forward to watching. I was looking forward to watching the Canadians, but unfortunately FAA lost to Casper Ruud in the quarters, but at least he made it to the quarters because Shapo lost first round in this tournament to Alex de Manure, which isn't completely shocking, but kind of disappointing if you're a Canadian fan because Chapo doesn't even make it out of the first round of Montreal. Let's go straight to what everybody was watching in this tournament. Nick Kyrgios playing Daniil Medvedev. Now, Daniil Medvedev, the one seed in this tournament, obviously the number one player in the entire world, losing in the round of 32, the second round of this tournament to Nick Kyrgios. Now, going into this match... Kyrgios was saying things like uh, people were ca- counting him a big underdog and they were also like asking him all these questions. And he goes, he's the number one player in the world and we just both came off of, you know, big wins last week. So he's like, it's pretty much just, you know, a contest to two guys that are playing really good tennis right now. Very true. Kyrgios goes out there and beats Medvedev in three sets. Uh, kind of a controlling last two sets. He loses the first set in a tiebreaker, then wins 6-4, 6-2 in the last two sets. And afterwards, in a press conference, they were asking him, like, are you surprised you did this? Uh, do you think this is sustainable? All that stuff. They're at, the reporters were asking him stuff like that, and he pretty much straight up came out and was like, guys, I've beaten good players before. Like, I can do this. I can do, you know, good things and, and win big matches and beat really good players, top players in the world. I can do it. And the confidence from Nick Kyrgios right now unmatched and I think a lot of people forget how confident he is in himself sometimes um, because he believes he can beat all those guys and to be honest he can beat all those guys he does beat top players in the world he has beaten Djokovic he has beaten beaten Rafael Nadal you know he has beaten the top players in the world and so he can do this on a tournament basis tournament to tournament basis 
and he literally just showed he can by beating Daniil Medvedev. Now, he goes on to lose in the quarterfinals to Hubie Hurkacz. Not a real big problem there because Hubie goes on to the final, um, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but it was good to see you know Nick Kyrgios have another good tournament. Uh, sometimes if you make it too far in all these tournaments, you win like four tournaments leading up to the U.S. Open. Unless you're like Djokovic or Nadal, you're usually in a fall at some point. So I wouldn't consider quarterfinals a fall because he loses to a really, really good player. But Nick Kyrgios, you know, gets some rest this week, get, gets ready for Cincy, and now he's moving on. Let's keep going down this tournament to some of the other notable players that were in this tournament. Let's look at guys like Carlos Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz is the number two seed in this tournament. He plays right into either Vasek Pospisil or Tommy Paul. And Tommy Paul has a great tournament here. He beats Carlos Alcaraz, which is a massive win in my eyes for Tommy Paul. Carlos Alcaraz loses in the second round and just doesn't get it done. Now, one of the most surprising parts of this uh, is kind of what comes out of Carlos Alcaraz's mouth coming off of this tournament. Now, he says in a tweet, he says, it was the first time that I couldn't handle the pressure. I have to be ready to have this pressure, to have this kind of moments, and to learn how to handle it. Now, for him to put that on Twitter and just kind of throw it out there, I was a little surprised by it, but a little, you know, honestly, I was happy with his honesty and how he's being so transparent about it, and he's not wrong. Um, Carlos Alcaraz does need to learn learn how to deal with his pressure, but he's so young. He's like 20 years old still. So it's not shocked that, you know, he's going to have learning curves like this, and that's just part of the sport, and that's just part of being young. Um, better here in Montreal than at the U.S. Open, and he still seems to play big-time tennis in big-time spots. Now, moving into this tournament, he was the first player since Novak Djokovic, uh, who did it in 2011, to win at least one set in his first 50 matches of the season. That was him into this tournament, he had won a first set in his first 50 matches of the season. I mean, this kid, the way he's been playing this year, there's a reason he's much CTV. There's a reason he's selling seats to all these massive tournaments, and he's so young because he is so entertaining to watch, and he is going to give you a battle every single time he steps on the court. Now, he does lose to Tommy Paul in three sets, so he keeps that streak going. But Carlos Alcaraz, an absolute gem to watch on the court. Now, Tommy Paul, his side of it, uh, he now has a positive record against top 10 players in 2022. He is 3-2. And, and this match wasn't anything, like, real fast. This was a match that is a typical, I think, Carlos Alcaraz battle. Um, it was three hours and 20 minutes. It was a tiebreaker in the first set, a tiebreaker in the second set, and then Tommy Paul comes out and beats him straight up 6-3 in the third set. And this is one of the biggest, uh, biggest wins for Tommy Paul's career, to be honest, to beat the number four player in the world and get to the last 16 of Montreal, an incredible feat. And it was honestly really, really good to see Tommy Paul playing this type of tennis and playing really good tennis, especially, you know, it's always good to see an American play well. And I think, I, I don't think I speak for myself when I say this. I think there's a lot of people out there that feel this way. But when Tommy Paul and Taylor Fritz were coming up, a lot of people were just hoping they weren't going to be busts, right? Uh, they were kids coming up. They were so young and they were just... Uh, you know, sometimes they hung out with guys that hadn't achieved great things at the time. Um, and, and that's not a diss at anybody, but it's just, you know, we're, America has been hoping for the next big thing for a long time. And I love to see that, you know, these guys are turning out and they are turning into top players. Um, now we'll just see if they can hit another level. So seeing Tommy Paul do this, 
uh, a lot of promise for American tennis and honestly a lot to look forward to moving into the U.S. Open. Now let's get a little bit more into this tournament that was going on in Montreal. Now, if you look at the bottom half of the bracket, there was a guy by the name of Jack Draper that was playing outstanding tennis. Uh, he wins in the first round against Hugo Gaston. Uh, not an easy win there. He wins 6-2, 6-3, makes it look easy. And then he goes on to beat Stefano Tsitsipas. He, the number seventh ranked player in the world, Stefano Tsitsipas, loses to Jack Draper in the second round. A lot of second round exits in this tournament for big name players. Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas loses in straight sets, 7-5, 7-6, and 4 in the tiebreaker. And then he goes on to beat Gail Monfils, and Monfils went down. It didn't look good. Uh, it was good to see Monfils back on tour, back doing things. I don't I don't know exactly what it is yet, but he was like running and he just like kind of went down. So obviously not great to see if you're, you know, Monfils' camp or really a fan of the sport or a fan of Monfils. But unfortunately that did happen, even though Draper was winning pretty handily up to that point. Then that takes us to the quarterfinals where Draper plays Pablo Carina Busta. And this is the part where I'm going to transfer this kind of talk of this tournament straight to PCB, Pablo Carina Busta, who cruises by Jack Draper. And then he goes on to beat Daniel Evans, uh, beats beats Dan Evans in three sets. And then he goes on to beat Hubie Hercotch in the final to win this tournament. Now, he had to beat some dudes to get to this point. L- listen to who he beat the whole way through. First round, Pablo Carina Busta beats Matteo Berrettini. Then he beats Holger Rune. Then he beats Yannick Sinner. Then he beats Draper. Then he beats Evans. Then he beats Hubie Hercotch. An amazing week for Pablo Carina Busta. And for the first time, he made the final in a Masters 1000 tournament. And he did win his first Masters 1000 tournament. What an incredible feat for this man. He, at the age of 31, gets into his first final, and really takes control of it. He now has seven ATP titles to his name. He got two, both on clay, in 2021. Then he got a clay court in 2017. But his hard court wins have been Winston-Salem and Moscow in 2016, hard court in Chengdu in 2019, and then now, 2022, the Masters 1000 in Canada. A great, great, great win for the Spaniard moving forward. And he will be somebody to look forward to and somebody to really get excited about as we move forward into this U.S. Open. The the, the Spanish players are going to make a big crash, I think, at this year's U.S. Open. You get look at PCB, Pablo Carina Busta. You look at Carlos Alcaraz really starting to learn from, you know, the pressure that he's getting and, and starting to probably play really good tennis, I think, uh, right around the US Open. And he seems to do well in big moments other than, you know, the hiccup that he had in Montreal. Then you look at number three, and that is, you know, I hate to say number three, but the third person I'm going to name is Rafael Nadal, who is playing in Cincinnati, rehabbing from his abdominal. So a lot, a lot of good things to look forward to when you look at the Spanish players moving into the hard courts. It's cool to see them transition to being really good on hard court because usually they get labeled as clay court guys. But for them to come over here and have success, Pablo Carina Busta playing Hubie Hercotch, someone tweeted this and said, that's not necessarily the blockbuster blockbuster final that, you know, the the Canadian or the National Bank Open or whatever in Canada was looking for, but they said the fans still turned out for it and respected good tennis. So obviously that's what the sport's all about. And there's a lot of people that respect really, really good tennis. But man, Pablo Carina Busta, what a week he had. And it is just, it's really good to see, to be honest. 
All right, let's move on. Let's go to Cincinnati. That is where a lot of the players find themselves this week. It's a normal thing to go straight from Montreal to Cincinnati. And this is one of the biggest tournaments of the year. The Western and Southern Open, the Masters 1000 going on in Cincy. And what a tournament that it's going to be. There's a lot of big names there. You look at guys like Rafael Nadal showed up for this one. Uh, Medvedev is there also, but... The names in this tournament, you look at the top of the bracket, look at the first five, ten names I see. Medvedev, Vanden Zanschkult, Cressy, Paul, Brooksby, Shapo, Dimitrov, Fritz, Kyrgios is in this. He plays Davidovich von Kina in the first round. I mean, the names go on and on and on and on. And guess who else is in this tournament? Rafael Nadal. So Nadal, it's good to see him make it in this tournament. He said he's still dealing with the abdomen a little bit, but it's good to see him join the field in Cincy. And this is just another step, not only for him, but everybody moving into the U.S. Open. For a lot of guys, this is the last real test before they'll get to the U.S. Open, simply because a lot of them won't play Winston, Winston-Salem just because it's not as big of a tournament. They'll go straight to New York and start preparing for the U.S. Open. So it's going to be interesting to see this tournament you know, unfold. There's, like I said, there's so many good players in this tournament. Literally, everybody seems to be in this tournament. So, hopefully, you know, some guys will get their last practice, their last good run in before the U.S. Open, and this is their last time to pretty much prepare. So, I mean, it's crunch time. This is it. I'm not going to really preview this one too much, just because, you know, there's there's not any real big significance to it. Uh, I just kind of want to mention some of the players that are in it. A lot of Americans, obviously in this one, and I kind of mentioned everybody. It, everybody you think is in this uh, is in it besides, like, Novak Djokovic, to be honest. Uh, Tiafo, Korda, Hachinov, Schwartzman, uh, Karatsev. You look at guys like Evans, Rude, Hercotch, Senego, Vavrinka. Look, look at this first-round match. Uh, Holger, this first, sorry. The first-round match I'm talking about is Vavrinka and Andy Murray play each other in the first round, which is going to be awesome to see. Uh, that's a good first-round match to watch. And then Holger Rune plays Cam Nori in the first round, which would be entertaining as always. Now, uh, FAA could play right into Alex de Manure, which would be a good match. Uh, and then hopefully we can see more out of Carlos Alcaraz in this tournament moving forward. Uh, is Jack Draper in this tournament? Did I see his name in here? Jack Draper is not in this tournament. I don't see Jack Draper, his name, in this tournament. So it looks like he's not playing in this. Another note about Jack Draper with what he did in the tournament prior in Montreal, he went his ranking at the start of the year was like 265th in the world. And on Monday, which is the day I'm recording this podcast, he's now ranked 55 in the world. So talk about an absolute stellar year. He should probably get newcomer of the year. He's a 20 years old. He's had a great year so far. He's going to make the next gen, all that stuff. Uh, he's got to be up there for newcomer of the year, I would imagine. Uh, let's move over to the women's side. I want to talk about something real quick. Simona Halep, obviously, uh, goes from like rank number 15, 16 in the world. She wins in Toronto. She's always been a really good player, and now she moves up to like number six in the world, back in the top 10. So awesome to see for Simona Halep. But another thing in the women's world that's incredible is Coco Goff now moves into number one doubles ranking player in the world at 18 years old. Uh, she is the WTA top ranked doubles player. She won in Toronto doubles with her partner, Jessica Pugula, and she's the youngest ever WTA number one in doubles, uh, or the number one was 
Martina Hingis in as 17 years old in 1998. Not bad company to be in when it comes to skills in tennis. Martina Hingis. Staying on the women's side, we're going to talk about this last. Serena Williams is retiring. Um, there's a lot to cover here, and there's a lot out there, but I just kind of want to give my two cents right now in what I think about Serena retiring. It's never easy to see a legend of the sport walk away, and I think that's what we're going to start seeing. Serena could be the first to just kind of drop here, and then, you know, Roger's probably close behind. Nadal's a few years away, I think. Stuff like that, it's really hard. Serena Williams, obviously, uh, she's had her faults in the past. Uh, I mentioned on a video I put on social media that some people may not like her, and some people gave me backlash on that, and I kind of want to explain it. She's had her times... Uh, with the umpires, uh, you look at, I think it was the 2018 uh, U.S. Open where she got a violation for coaching and kind of freaked out a little bit. And she's had some problems like that in the past. I'm not saying Serena's a bad person. I don't think Serena's a bad person. I don't think Novak Djokovic is a bad person. They just have blow ups. And the fact of the matter is some people may not like them for that. That's literally fact. Does everybody like LeBron? No. Does everybody like Tom Brady? No. Does everyone like Serena? No. That's just the way it is. But you can't deny that she's been a great ambassador for the sport of tennis. When you watch the movie King Richard and you know see her roots and where her and Venus came from and how they became so good at tennis, and now that they get in the sport of tennis, they make names for themselves, and now when you say Serena and Venus, you only got to say their first names because everybody knows who they are. They're a trailblazer in the sport. They remind me of guys like Tiger Woods that they're you know almost bigger than life in the sport of tennis and they integrate so many worlds together when it comes to a sport, a sport that was, you know, primarily for country club kids and, you know, collared athletes. And now you get two players from Compton coming in and being very successful at it. It's awesome to see. It's really cool to see. And they've transformed, they've transformed the sport of tennis the way it is. Her and Venus have. But uh, she said she's evolving away from the sport of tennis. Uh, she doesn't want to use the word retire, but I wouldn't be surprised if the U.S. Open is her last tournament. Um, wow. What an incredible career. 23 Grand Slams. She's won it a few times at the U.S. Open. Hopefully she can make a run again. She's obviously not at the same spot she has been at the U.S. Open, um, you know, as far as tennis-wise. Uh, I don't know if it's her conditioning. I don't know if it's... Um, her strokes, but you can't, I mean, she hasn't played that much tennis, so it, it shouldn't, it's not expected for me for her to go out and win the U S open. There's a lot of really good players out there that could win the U S open. It's kind of like when Roger comes back or expecting him, you know, to win Wimbledon right off the bat, maybe, but it's probably not realistic. Um, but it's definitely not realistic. I don't think for Serena, she lost in Wimbledon. She lost in Toronto and she seems to, kind of be just taking this farewell tour as it is it's kind of sad to see when somebody's so good um this happens to them but she's like 40 years old I mean to still be playing competitive tennis at 40 years old is an incredible feat and so it is going to be sad when Serena leaves the game I think it's going to be sad she's brought so much to the game she's meant so much to women's tennis so much to American women's tennis so much to tennis in general sports in general women's sports in general a trailblazer like I said earlier she's integrated a lot of things sports and business she's done really well at and what a flex to absolutely call it quits in Vogue magazine I think that's an absolute flex from Serena Williams so 
It is going to be sad to watch her go. It really is. Uh, I'm looking forward to what's next for her, and I really hope, I think she will stay involved in the sport of tennis. She mentioned that her kid wants, you know, in a younger sibling, so that may be where she goes next. But wherever she goes, I'm sure she'll do great, and I can't help but be grateful as a tennis fan for everything she's done for the sport. Uh, you know, there's been some good, there's been a lot of good, a few bad, but at the end of the day, we're all humans, and that's going to happen. So, Thank you, Serena. I'm I'm thankful that you know she chose our sport to be really good at and not a different sport. And I think the sport of tennis is better with the Williams sisters in it, for sure. Uh, that's going to be it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Appreciate you. Uh, got a little long-winded at the end, but thanks for sticking along this long in the podcast. And we'll get another one out next week. Recapping Cincy in the U.S. Open is literally right around the corner. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.